Senior Chief William Branham of SEAL Team 10 shares his experiences and lessons that he learned as part of the Navy's most elite strike force, and more importantly, the lessons he learned once he was transitioning out of that. Are you hitting a wall in your business because you feel like you're too busy? Do you ever wish there were more hours in a day? This podcast is for hyper-focused entrepreneurs who want to learn the secrets of superhuman productivity. Together, we're going to kick procrastination in the teeth. We're going to slice through BS excuses like a katana blade. We don't ever wonder what happened because we're the ones that made it happen. My name is Josh Thomas. You've now entered the Do Zone. Welcome to the DZ Tribe. No bastard ever won a war by dying for his country. He won it by making the other poor dumb bastard die for his country. General George S. Patton. DZ Tribe, Josh Thomas, if you haven't already, check out thedozone.com for productivity tips, accountability, and just a bunch of badasses that are looking to get more stuff done. Once again, that's the dozone.com. Today's guest, you're in for a real treat. This is William Branham. He's a retired Navy SEAL with 26 years of service, founder and CEO of Naked Warrior Recovery, a CBD and supplements company helping veterans and first responders. He also is a keynote speaker and leadership coach where he teaches the get naked mindset and teaches leaders how to lead their teams like a SEAL team. William, I'm so glad to have you. Welcome to the Zoo, Do Zone. Say what's up to the tribe and tell us something you believe is the key to getting stuff done that most people wouldn't think of. Josh, first of all, thanks for having me on here. And what's up, tribe? And uh, let's see, you you prompted me like before this thing kicked off. I, I feel like there was one more thing I was supposed to do before I answered the question. But uh, I told you, my ADD kicks in and I completely forget what the point is. Um, because I am, you know, I'm one of those ADHD people that I didn't even know I had that uh, diagnosis for most of my life until I went to, you know, have some treatment about uh, brain, brain damage, brain injuries from, you know, IEDs and bumping my head and things like that. I had no idea that I had uh, attention deficit disorder. But uh, one of the things that helps me get stuff done uh, is actually making a plan. Most of us are super reactive to, um, the things that life throws at us. We don't think about the net second and third order effects of our actions and, and what we're going to do because we don't actually make a plan. We don't practice the plan and then we don't execute it as violently as we should. So I would, I would say that uh, to, to get more things done, you just need to make a plan because I will, none of us do that. We have a half-assed plan, but never, none of us have like a solid thought out at least 70% plan in our pocket, ready to go. That's right. Yeah. The, the half-ass plan never works, but the 70 ass plan, that's the, that's the minimum, right? It gets it. It gets, you know, it at least gets the ball rolling in the right direction. That's and right. quite honestly, if I could even like retract that and like give you a completely different answer is I would just say, start taking action. Now, uh -huh. most of us overthink, you know, the opposite of what I just said is make a plan. Just start taking action. Imperfect action is always better than no action at all. That's music to my ears right there. I mean, that's what the do zone's all about. It's about doing stuff. It's about taking action. And, uh, and I, uh, I, I referenced there's, uh, there's an article uh, by James Clear from his book, Atomic Habits, that talks about the concept of motion versus action. Motion is that kind of getting ready and preparing and all of these things. And action is the only thing that you can do that leads to a result, getting up and doing things. I mean, that's really what this is all about. So I, I, I love that. I appreciate you sharing it. Uh, and, and so can you give me a couple of examples? Uh, you've led an interesting life. Uh, I'm sure that you've seen some, some crazy stuff as a Navy SEAL. Can, we, can you give me some examples of where taking action ultimately served you? It served your team. It served your family. Uh, walk us through something like that. Um, gosh, there's, I, I think there's a lot of examples out there. I will start with the, you know, let's just start with a little bit of my history and a little bit of my story is, um, at some point 
during my time growing up, I knew I wanted to be in the military. I knew I wanted to be part of a small tactical unit that was very high speed, low drag. I didn't know those words back then. Uh, very elite. And, uh, and so I was involved in the Boy Scouts, was, which because I'm from Mississippi, that was probably the most high speed elite organization around. I uh, became a, a, an Eagle Scout. I worked at the Boy Scout camp. I taught, you know, on the rifle range. I was also a lifeguard. So those were like the two elite jobs at, at Boy Scout camp. Hey, those, and so those Mississippi Boy Scouts, they're vicious, dude. Get out of the way. Watch, you watch yourself. <laughs> and and I'm going to tell you that like for in the on the lifeguard side, it was no joke. Like you earn that you earn those credentials for sure. And it took you pretty much all summer just to like go from like being the student to actually getting qualified. But um, so I, from that experience in the, in the Boy Scouts, I learned about the SEAL teams. And, uh, and so I never ever wanted to join the Navy. The Navy was the last organization I ever wanted to be a part of because, you know, the uniforms were ugly. They ride around on those big gray ships out there. And there was a Naval air station in my town. So I was like, I do not want to join the Navy. I don't want to be like one of those guys that I see you know, acting like a bunch of idiots right out of boot camp and whatever. And so I, I went on this national jamboree. I learned about the SEAL teams. I came back and two weeks later, the Navy recruiter calls my house and says, hey, have you ever thought about joining the Navy? And I was like, "Why, well, yes. well, I do want to be a Navy SEAL and I do want to fly up 14 Tomcats. He's like, awesome. Come on down here to the recruiting station and let's talk. So so I had to take action and join the Navy. Never in my life would I have ever joined the Navy had the SEAL teams not been a part of the Navy, but that's where they were. I had to do something I didn't really want to do is join the Navy, but that's the only way you can become a Navy SEAL is join the Navy. That's right. I have no yeah. idea what your question was, but. <laughs> no, no, you're fine. I mean, the, uh, the, the way that I would distill that down is uh, the, the only way is through. Uh, yeah. You know, you you wanted to arrive at this point where you were part of this high speed low drag organization as you described it and you didn't really want to be a part of the navy but you wanted to be a part of that team and the only way to be a part of that team is to be in the navy and and you had to take that action you had to go through that process and you had to say you know what this is the price of admission yeah 100% and i didn't get straight into the seal teams it still took me after i joined the navy 3 years before i actually was able to show up at, at SEAL training because I didn't take the right action or I didn't take action when I should have. And because of that inaction, I ended up on a ship in Yokosuka, Japan for 24 months and still almost didn't get to go to SEAL training mm. because of some other decisions that I made and the fact that I didn't take the action I should have in the beginning. You know, the, the more people I talk to, especially entrepreneurs, uh, the, the line of distinction between successful people and people who are not successful or not yet successful, it, the gap widens further and further and further when you just pay attention to what they're actually doing or if they're actually doing something. Because yeah. there's a lot of talk. And uh, I don't know if you've run into this, and I would imagine that, you know, everybody knows about the Navy SEALs. It's an elite organization. They make movies about them. You know, those are the guys that, that come in and kill bin Laden and all this stuff. So, but there's, there's a lot of people out there talking about, well, this is what they do. This is, I could do that. And, and then there's a lot of people that are trying to become SEALs and they don't make it. And I want to hear your perspective about, well, why don't they make it? it I, because I, I don't necessarily believe there's probably some, some people have some genetic advantages, obviously. But to a certain extent, it seems to me that in order to become the top elite of a branch of the armed services, the one thing that you really have to do is you have to get up and you have to do the work. Above all else, beyond skill, beyond talent, beyond sheer strength and muscles, you got to get up and you got to do the work consistently over and over and over again. But I want to hear your perspective. What do you think really separates somebody becoming part of a SEAL team and somebody that is just sitting on a ship in Japan? It's a super easy, it's super easy. It's simple. It's absolutely simple. Um, it's whether you want it or not. 
Do you want it or don't you want it? You know, I watched guys when I was in SEAL training, I watched guys show up and I knew there were guys that had shown up, quit, and they came back. I'm like, oh, well, something happened. Maybe they got hurt. I didn't have that much dialogue with them, but I remember them from other schools. Like when I first joined the Navy, I'm like, oh, he's a stud. He's a stud. He's a stud. Everyone, all these guys are just like beasts and natural abilities. They're smart. And, uh, and then we started training and they quit on the first day before we even did anything. Or then we were like going through training and other guys would quit. And I would just watch guys quit. Like, and I couldn't believe it in the beginning. I was, I was, it took seal training is six months long. It took me a short 13 months to get through that training. Cause I got injured a bunch of times, but you know, for them, they all had like, well, if this doesn't work out for me, I'm going to go do something else. If this doesn't work out, I'm going to go do something else. Or maybe being on that ship in the, you know, floating around the middle of the ocean is not that bad. Like, I don't like being cold, wet, and sandy anymore. I don't like being yelled at anymore. I don't like getting up early anymore. Um, they didn't want it because I was, I will tell you that when I showed up to SEAL training, I was not, um, I was not in great shape. I was in good enough shape to pass the screening test and be accepted into the program, but I was not in great shape. I was in the goon squad every single run. I, you know, I was one of the last guys. So the goon squad, so they, the class gets, you know, you have like 150, 180 people in a class in the beginning, and then they take off and they start running, run down the beach, three to five miles in soft sand. And there's this slinky effect that happens where the people that start, it's like traffic in LA or something, yeah. or in like, you know, Northern Virginia, you know, someone starts going and then it takes a while for the next person and the next person and you're in soft sand. And now there's this giant gap between the front and the back. And mm -hmm. it's like a start stop thing that happens. And, um, and to, a certain, still, to a certain extent, though, I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of human nature. That's, that's, uh, that's any, any classroom environment that's any business environment there's always going to be those front runners that that are just yeah. dominating and then there's always going to be the guys that are straggling in the back and then there's going to be this huge pack in the middle it's 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 fascinating to me whatever even in the most elite levels there's always going to be those guys at the back there's always going to be those guys at the front and then there's this huge pack in the middle so it's it's interesting right say that so you're and, and so i was i was always in the back <laughs> that's the goon squad okay got it and so and it's not the goon squad until the run is almost over and then the instructors are like okay from here and i always was behind the instructor so uh and then so you just get a little extra training you get 20 or 30 minutes of extra um lay, lay, lay down and stand up and roll around in the sand and go you know do some extra you know extracurricular exercises stuff that helps make you stronger Sure. or makes you not want to be there at all. Yeah. And so I got lots of extra training. I got extra, I got extra strong while I was in steel training. And eventually I was able to keep up on runs and, and things like that. But it didn't matter if I was in the goon squad or not, if I was the last one on a swim or a run or whatever, I was an okay swimmer. I actually say that I'm a terrible swimmer, but I was for sure a terrible runner. I was not prepared for the level of running that we were doing in there. And there were all these guys that just like things seemed so easy for them. Like they did, they ran effortlessly. They swam effortlessly. They ran around the obstacle course effortless. Everything just seemed, they were great leaders, very charismatic. And then like, they were like, they didn't like the cold water that much, or they didn't like carrying that boat on their head anymore. They didn't want to be yelled at one more time. And so they ended up quitting. And so it, the, the point is they just didn't want to be there anymore. They just, they didn't want, they couldn't see the prize at the end. All they could see was like what was happening to them right, right in front of them at that moment. Yeah. So, you know, I, I talk about this a lot and I'm glad that you brought that up. And, you know, when, when I'm having a conversation about somebody trying to get something done or trying to accomplish a task or improve their business, make more money, whatever it is. The first question that I always try to ask is conceptually speaking, what do you, what do you want? Right. You know, and, and that answer can't be money. Yes. And for the, for the seals, you know, it can't necessarily be the glory, you know, or the status or whatever. There has to be something that you actually want, because if you're not clear on what you want, then the finish line is invisible. 
how do yeah. you know when you've accomplished it if you don't know where it is? And, and so these guys show up and they're like, ah, oh, you know, I'd love to be a SEAL. That's cool. And then they realize what it takes to be a SEAL and they're like, well, screw that. Right. Just, and even I'll... like SEAL training doesn't make you a SEAL. Like from the time you start and then finish, it's still about a two-year process before you ever get to be at a team and have that trident on your chest before you are able to deploy or anything like that. So uh, it, it's not, you know, a, a lot of guys have um, like sort of, post hell week depression because hell week is this pinnacle it's like the fifth or sixth week of seal training and uh you go through hell week you make it and after that you're like you're super like most of the class is super depressed because they're like okay what's left like i've done the hardest thing in the world there's plenty of other hard stuff out there for you to do you just did one little thing that every navy seal has done and lots of guys that have never made it all the way through training have done this is just a step in the process so oftentimes I think, you know, what's your, what's your goal? And then once you get to that goal, what's your next goal? And then your next goal and your next goal, like keep moving that finish line down the road, but you gotta like, you at least have to have a goal, at least something to be aiming for and go towards that as, as violently as you can. And once you get there or before you get there, move it again and then keep yeah. moving it. Yeah. So it's, it's important to, you got to keep moving the goalposts. But before you move the goalposts, you know, kick a ball through. You got to know where it is and what it looks like. <laughs> yeah, makes sense. And so as you're as you're transitioning out of the armed forces and into civilian life, uh, talk to me a little bit about uh, what was that like and, and how did that how did that shift you into entrepreneurship and, and who are you ultimately wanting to serve from that? Well, um I, I always say that my transition from the military to civilian life is the hardest military mission I've ever been on. And I've been on a few, one or two here and there. Um, because it's just what we're saying is I didn't have a solid plan. I didn't have a good plan. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I thought I did, um, but I didn't execute that plan as violently as I should. I was kind of like, well, if I build it, they will come. And no one came i went you know hunting and i got like you what know you, a little bit of stuff what you build what did you what was your what was your first idea okay you're making this transition all right man i'm gonna make my millions and it's gonna be this what, what was that first idea that i wasn't even thinking millions i was just like trying to pay the bills like just keep okay. food on the table okay uh because you know military retirement is not very much money it's like beer money really at the end of the day um but it was it was a consulting company helping other companies navigate the military acquisition system. So my last three years in the SEAL teams, I was at the headquarters and my job was the, I was the director of science and technology. So basically what I did is I took these operational deficiencies that we have, that could be, we didn't have the equipment that we need. We don't have the technology. We don't have, you know, something that doesn't even exist yet. And so my job was to go out and find vendors that could create technology that doesn't exist that meets our our these capability gaps that we have and then i would go and find money these research and development dollars i went out and found 16 million dollars of other people's money to help solve the problems that we had in in the seal teams and then so i was taking that uh the lessons that i learned from there to the private industry and you know going to organizations saying hey what do you have a technology that you want to sell to the military? Do you have something that's maybe R&D? Maybe I can help you find uh, the money to, uh, to bring that to prime time, to get you in front of the end user, to see if that's even a capability that the military or special forces or anyone else is looking for. And then we can potentially transition that into a civilian version that you can sell as well. So that was the plan. But what I started off saying is, I'm, hey, I'm a consultant, and all the companies that I went to hate consultants. That's like hate. a four-letter word, man. Holy moly. Yeah. Hate. And uh, I still did okay, but I was just not okay with the hate and with the, like, with the, with the kind of just uncertainty of it all. Like, if I'd had some, some small victories in the beginning, I probably would have been a little happier a little bit like okay i can do this this is working all right but i just got like brick wall brick wall brick wall mm -hmm. 
or some, you know, companies like, Hey, we've got this thing that, you know, I want you to sell this thing. Mm. Uh, and you know, if you sell enough of them, then we'll give you a commission. Yeah. Uh, what? Thanks. No, like that, that, that whole, no, that's a hard no. Um, I, you know, I did a, a bunch of work kind of pro bono to help companies sort of develop some stuff and some documents and, and get into the running of some different programs, hoping that that would turn into, you know, into, um, a potential contract later on. Oftentimes you have to just come with a giving hand. And if you just keep giving it, you will receive, but it doesn't always, you have to, you have to know when to stop giving. It's, it's fascinating that you bring up about the consultants because it's a, it's a positioning issue, right? So what are you? You're a consultant. That's actually what you are. That's actually what you do, but nobody wants a consultant. No. Uh, What they want is the result and the solution that a consultant provides. And and, and, in a certain way, you really need to position yourself that way. But if you're just fresh out and you're trying to figure this out, you just want to be clear, this is what I am. And then they're like, oh, a consultant. I'm a consultant, you know? And anytime I want to end the conversation, anytime I want people to not ask me about what I do for a living and they say, oh, what do you do? I'm a consultant. That will yes. stop the conversation immediately. And then I can go back to whatever the hell it was I was talking about before. Right. But if I really want to capture their attention, I have to talk about the result that I provide. We were, yep. I was just having this conversation uh, with a gentleman who, in a same similar situation, he's transitioning out of a regular job and into being an entrepreneur. And he says, I'm going to be a financial coach. Okay, cool. Uh, how many people really need a financial coach? Well, lots right. of people need a financial coach, but it's not like, oh, I'm a financial coach. Pay me money. No, thanks, dude. Uh, I'm fine. But what's the problem you're solving? Right. And, and, I, and I asked him and I said, you know, what's, what's the situation? Uh, what, what are they really uh, struggling with? Well, a lot of, they're all in debt. One of them's in debt up to like 50,000 bucks. I said, well, can you help them get out of debt? Yeah. How long will it take? Uh, probably a year. All right. So you help people get out of debt up to $50,000 within one year. Well, yeah, that sounds pretty good. Well, that's what you do, right? You're right. not a financial coach. You help people get out of debt up to 50K in one year, right? And if you lead yep. with that, it's just, you're saying the same thing. You're still the same guy. You're still doing the same thing, but it's about how you position yourself. And, and that's right. like, unfortunately, you just got to get popped in the nose enough times to start seeing that. <laughs> I got popped in the nose a lot, like just blood everywhere, <laughs> yeah, right. gushing, you know, it was, and New some healthy. of it was, oh my gosh, it was, it was painful. Uh, I, you know, but like I said, I did have some, some victories in there. I, I did do all right in, in some cases, but at the end of the day, I realized like, I need to focus on something else because this is a sat, like, this is a saturated, like, apparently I like saturated markets and we'll talk more about another saturated market in a minute, but you know, there had been so many other consultants come through those companies and didn't provide a result at the end of the day because the company was like consultants suck. They're a bunch of criminals. They do, you know, they get paid and we get nothing in return. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I, well, first of all, I'm going to change. I'm not going to say I'm a consultant anymore. Maybe I'm an advisor or I'm a something else. Change the the vocabulary and then figure out what I'm actually like. Just what you said, kind of what's the result I'm trying to help you achieve. That's right. And uh, so. Did that continue? Did that business, you said you did okay, but it sounds like you've kind of transitioned into something else. Um, so, so did that, you just did that for a while and, and that you learned your lessons and moved on to kind of a different venture that, that kind of fit you better. Is that what happened? So I, I still have that, that company that's, it's still up and running. It's still there. There is a little bit of stuff that I do with it. Um, but, you know, I went to this um, business mastermind that uh, a, a friend of mine was a keynote speaker at. I'm like, oh, I'm super interested in going and whatever. And he was like, if you want to go, you can, I'll, you'll be my VIP guest. So it doesn't cost you the, the you know, however many thousands of dollars it was to attend this event. Um, you, you know, you just pay your own airfare in your own hotel and you, you get to go to all the VIP stuff. You get access to all this other stuff. And I was like, check. And I go to this event and, you know, the first guy that's speaking kind of this like, private, like Instagram, I didn't even have social media. 
Like I barely had an Instagram account. I, you know, 26 years in the SEAL teams, they say, do not advertise the nature of your work. And who wants to listen to whatever I have to say anyway? Um, as time goes on, maybe some people do want to hear what I have to say. But, uh, you know, the guy was like, well, if you, if you don't have something to sell, then you don't have a business. And I'm thinking to myself, what do I have to sell other than me? I don't, I don't know how to market myself. I don't understand. Because in the military, they don't teach you how to market. They don't teach you how to sell. They don't teach you how to run a business. They don't teach you how to anything. They teach you how to do the job that you're going to do, which is super interesting. As you, you, know, you talked about the transition out, there's all this effort to transition people into the military. Like you go to boot camp for nine weeks and you go to this training and that training and they really totally indoctrinate you. The process for you getting out of the military is a one-week course where they teach you how to write a resume and uh, how to do a budget. So, uh, hey, sorry about that. We had a little bit of a, uh, an audio issue, but it should be repaired now. So, uh, William, what you were saying earlier was, you know, the military does not provide any manuals about running a business, promoting yourself, and you go to this event and uh, somebody told you, if you don't have something to sell, then you don't have a business. And, and you're like, what the heck does that mean? How do I apply that to my life? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. So they're like, if you don't, if you don't have something to sell and I didn't understand services, I didn't understand. And it's been, it's taken me a long time to even really conceptualize all of that stuff. Cause again, I spent my entire adult life in the, in the military. And, but what I didn't also realize is the service that I provide a service as a seal in the seal teams, whether it's leadership or whatever, I'm, I'm providing a service to that combat commander on the ground to go get bad guys and do the things that we do. Um, but it took me a long time to kind of put that together. And I had a, a, a business, I was selling my services, but I still didn't, I didn't understand it my own self. So there was a, a huge lack of education that I had to get. Uh, you know, again, they don't provide you in the military. They just, you know, they teach you how to do your job. And, and then they say, all right, see you later. And don't really help uh, educate you or train you on how to get out. And quite honestly, most people, when they get out of the military, probably don't know what they want to do. And that was kind of going back to that first kind of question that you ask, how can you be more productive? You got to make a plan. You got to figure out what the plan, what it is you want to achieve. What's that goal? And then you build a plan, you brief the plan, you talk to people about the plan, and then you execute the plan. And it can just be a part of the plan. And then you come back and you do kind of an after action review, like what went right, what went wrong on this part of the plan. Okay, let's go hit the next piece of it. And the next piece is until we achieve whatever it is we're, that we're going to do. And when I got out, I didn't really have all of that worked out. I was really in denial about getting out of the military. I was like, I am, I actually would like to stay in the military for the rest of my life. Cause I know it's comfortable, even though there's hard parts of it, it was still comfortable. And so getting out of the military is probably one of the best things that's happened to me because it forced me to get out of my comfort zone, learn completely new skill sets, and I'm able to impact other people's lives uh, through some of the things that I'm doing now. And uh, yeah, but it took me a long time to get there. An, another strong point here, and, and there's, there are so many uh, relative points that you're making about the military that somebody could apply to uh, their job or their situation. I was going to stay in the military for the rest of my life because it was comfortable, because it yep. was known, because I didn't have to think. Somebody would think for me, and somebody would tell me where to go and what to do, point your gun that way, shoot those bad guys. You don't have to think. And there are so many situations uh, that we run into. If you're an employee for a company, it's the same thing. You know, point the gun this way, shoot this bad guy. Okay. I don't have to think in that situation. And if you're paying me and you're making me comfortable, then uh, as Kevin O'Leary says, you know, a salary is the drug they give you to make you forget your dreams. And, uh, that's what's happening. And even to a certain extent as an entrepreneur, even if you're running your own business, that comfort is staying into that zone that you have and not being willing to expand out of it because it's uncomfortable, because it's unknown. No, I think I'm just going to stick with where I'm at right now because I don't, I don't really know what's going to happen over there. That's a little bit too much of a risk and I'm risk averse. Right. So let's, let's do this, William. Uh, I'd love to crack open that noggin and uh, see how that brain works here. We'll get, get into the do zone diagnostic. Are you ready? Let's do it. Awesome. I'm terrified. 
Well, it's all right. The the needle is uh, it's more intimidating. It looks more intimidating than it actually is. So you're fine. <laughs> so just rapid fire. First thing that comes to mind. Uh, number one, what's one thing you do that helps keep you focused on your goals? So our I'll just tell you, our mission at Naked Warrior Recovery is 22 to zero. 22 veterans take their lives every single day. We've lost more veterans to suicide than we have in 20 years of sustained combat in two theaters of war. My dad is, was a veteran my, and my dad took his own life. So that is a pretty powerful uh, event that helps keep me on my goal. But you know, every night before I go to bed, before I kind of shut down my brain for the end of the day, I figure out what my, net, what my path is, what are the top three things I'm gonna do tomorrow? And, you know, it could just be like three meetings that I have. These are the top three things I'm going to do. So I always plan what I'm going to do the next day, the night before. Mm, well said. And uh, so when things don't always go as planned, how, how do you get back on track when you lose that focus? So going back to what we discussed earlier is knowing what that goalpost looks like. And I don't remember if we were live when we were talking about that earlier. But knowing what that what that goal is at the end of the day, knowing what it what it looks like and how you want like what what you want it to be, and a lot of times you just have to ask yourself why you want that goal enough times to figure out what that goal really is, and then when you get off off course and you pick your head up because oftentimes when you go off course you're looking down at the ground, you know, sort of figuratively speaking, you're kind of looking down and in and you're not looking up and out. And, and so maybe you're using like a, this mountain peak over here as your navigation aid and you need to keep going towards that, you know, that peak of that mountain. Well, you just went into the bushes in the, in the jungle and you can't really see the mountain and you think you're going in the right direction. And then when you get a, a place where you can like find that mountain again, you, you, you recalibrate and like, oh, there's my goal. That's, the, that's the direction I need to go. And then you shift and you keep going back to that in that same that same direction again every like and it's never there's no goal there's ever a straight line anyway so we're you you always it's always zigzags and ups and downs and that's just life and that's just that's the reality of it and and that's really a good thing because you're never going to learn lessons by things being easy you're never going to get better as a human or an entrepreneur or anything else if you're if life is easy and you're just going in a straight line you have to do these zigzags and ups and downs in order to get these life lessons. And I think that's really what life is all about is learning these lessons and passing it on to the next generation. Nice. And, and, and who is your support group, William, and how do they keep you accountable? Um, so, you know, I say oftentimes, you know, when I left the military, uh, I lost my purpose, I lost my mission, and I lost my team. And I had a pretty badass purpose, a pretty badass mission, and a pretty badass team. And so now, what I say is I have to rebuild my own new SEAL team. And so I reach out to some entrepreneurs that were in the SEAL teams with me. And I, you know, partner with them. I make them part of my SEAL team. Hey, I bounce stuff off. My wife is part of my team. Uh, my daughter is part of my team. Um, and I actually hire coaches to be part of my team because, you know, I can go and figure stuff out myself, but if I can pay someone, to collapse the time and so that I can learn off of their lessons that there's no more value, no better way to spend your money than, than that. Like get lessons learned from other people to make your path a little bit cleaner nice. and to get the support. You know, if you're paying someone to support you, they will open up their network because they're successful because of their network. And so they'll open up their network to you and then you get that addition to. Nice. And, and how do you approach a difficult project that you're not quite sure how to complete? I ask a lot of questions. So that was probably the thing that I, uh, my biggest learning lesson as a leader is to ask questions. There were times where I had zero clue or very little clue on how to solve a problem. And when I became brave enough to ask my guys for help, hey, how would you guys, without like showing that I didn't know anything, I was like, hey, I got this problem, struggling with it a little bit. What do you, how do you guys think we can solve this problem? And they'll come in with the craziest ideas that just might work. And so when I was brave enough to ask for help, my life got so much better. And I was able to solve so many more problems. 
Nice. I love that. Uh, and then the last question, what is the number one pro tip you would give to somebody that's looking to get more stuff done in less time? I would say create small victories. And what I mean by that, and so NAKED is it's an acronym and the N stands for never quit. And I tell people the way that you never quit is you create small victories. So you have this big audacious goal in front of you that maybe is achievable, maybe it's not, um, but you do everything you can to achieve that goal. And the way you do it is you, you take everything that is required to get there and you break it up into small pieces that you can attack every day. Because the bigger the goal, the bigger the thing is, the more, uh, the more you feel overwhelmed most of the time. But if you just keep taking these baby steps, you just accomplish one thing that you need to do, create that small victory. And I equate it to like hell week. Hell week is five and a half days. You're cold, you're wet, you're miserable. And, uh, and it sucks. But one thing is constant during hell week is they feed you four times a day. So it doesn't matter how much it sucks, how cold, how wet, how miserable you are, how much you don't like that boat on your head. All you got to do is make it to the next meal. And that's what I tell people to do in there, like in these things that they're trying to accomplish, just make it to the next meal. Just do one more piece. Just take one more step. Just take one more bite of that elephant or that whale. And you're going to achieve the goal that you're looking for, or you're going to get pretty damn close to it. But you have to keep creating those small victories and do that every single day. I love that. All you got to do is make it to the next meal. That one, that one hit me different, man. I appreciate that. That was, that was, that was awesome. And so you've, you've referenced this several times. And for those of you that cannot see this, uh, William is wearing a shirt and a hat that says, get naked. Ironically, he is not naked, but he's wearing clothing that tells <laughs> you to do so. Uh, so talk to us a little bit about the Naked Warrior uh, and what is this about? Uh, why, why is this happening? And, and just tell us a little bit more. So the, the Naked Warrior is actually the predecessor of today's Navy SEAL. If you've ever seen the movie Saving Private Ryan, that initial like assault on Normandy, before that happened, the Navy went out and found these guys in the Navy that were good at demolitions and they were good at swimming. These guys went in and they did hydrographic reconnaissance. They, they surveyed the beaches, they took notes, they surveyed the, the water to see if they were, uh, you know, by swimming, measuring the depth of the water and then diving under, under the water, looking for obstacles. And if they found an obstacle, they would mark it down. And then they would go back to the ship and they would do this for like weeks at a time, going in, taking fire from the beach, doing the reconnaissance, coming back. And, uh, and this was the charts that they created were the battle plans for the assault on Normandy. Whatever happened beyond the beach, that was something else. But what happened in that initial assault? So these guys basically, and then they, later on in the Pacific, they would go and clear barrier reefs uh, for Marines to go ashore. And so these guys were called the Naked Warrior because they basically went into combat wearing, you know, basic little tiny brown shorts, a K-bar knife on a belt, a mask, and a pair of fins. And uh, that's how they went to combat, naked. And so they later on were turned into, you know, became underwater demolition team and later Navy SEALs in U.S. Navy SEALs uh, in Vietnam in 1962. Um, so the Naked Warrior is a, you know, it's a hat, uh, head nod to, uh, to, to my heritage as a SEAL. But the other part of the Naked Warrior, it's really about, you know, we put on armor in today's combat to go into harm's way because that armor will potentially save your life. Uh, and then we come back and we take that armor off. But in life, in real life, we end up wearing that armor around or that baggage around and we never take it off. So really what Get Naked is about is about, you know, stepping away from the fight that you're in, whatever it's business or, you know, some sort of toxic relationship and find a safe place to take your armor off, to take that baggage that you're carrying around off so you can find the healing that you need. So you can be, uh, expose yourself, become vulnerable. And that's where healing actually takes place. And it took me a long time to, I have worn armor my entire life, physical and you know emotional armor. And so once I learned how to take that emotional armor off and be a little bit vulnerable, I was able to heal things that I never, injuries I didn't even know I had. Um, so that, that's part of it. And then you know, NAKED is also an acronym and it stands for the N is for never quit, the A is accept failure, the K is kill mediocrity, the E is expose your fears and the D is do the work. And I think you talk a lot about doing the work. And these are all, they're not mutually exclusive. They all kind of go together. 
Uh, and that, you know, this is a keynote that I give from stage. And if you want like kind of what it talks about, what the get naked mindset is about, if you go to fivesealsecrets.com, the number fivesealsecrets.com, put your name and email in there. I'll email you a, a PDF. It's about seven pages with some cool pictures um, of, you know, what never quit, accept failure, kill mediocrity, expose your fears and do the work is all about. Nice. That is such a, a great story, a, a, a history lesson, kind of a, a nod to the original Navy SEALs and where they came from. Uh, and, you know, the, I'll tell you the thing that really stood out to me is when you were talking about armor, because we wear armor to protect us in battle. And when you start talking about physical armor, everybody understands that. I put a helmet on to go ride my bike. Uh, I put on a bulletproof vest if I'm a police officer, you know, and we come home and we take that physical armor off because the threat is, you know, for the most part, it's it's neutralized. But what about that emotional armor that we've been putting on? We never take that off because it's invisible, but that doesn't make it any less real. And so I, I love that you drew that connection there. Could Could you just dive one step deeper into that? that emotional armor, because I think that's such a powerful point. Well, I think, you know, it's not something that we think about putting on. It's something, you know, I say that pain is cumulative. I learned this lesson once upon a time. And if I were to like tap you in the arm for a little while, you're going to be like, that's no big deal. You're just tapping me in the arm. If I continue to do that over time, over a week, and I don't stop, well, that's going to be a big black bruise on your arm and then pretty soon I do it some more and then the bruising goes down your arm and it's consuming your entire arm and then I stop tapping you on the arm and then you go to put a shirt on and the shirt kind of hits your arm in that area where I was tapping and it wasn't that much pressure and it you're like oh my god that hurts so much so now you're guarding that arm from pretty much anything even though the the attacks the attacks that tapping has stopped or someone comes and they like hit you in the arm, it's no big deal. And that like tapping you in the arm could be like an email or the way that someone talks to you or something you saw on, on the media. Immediately, your armor's up. You're like armored up and you're ready to fight. For what? Someone sent you an email that was maybe not in the, the voice that you thought it should have come in. And now you're super pissed off and you can't, you can't like control your emotions now. And so that's that armor that we just like put it on and then you're just pissed off for the rest of the day. And then you go to bed pissed off and you, and it's, some of it's about forgiving, forgiveness, and some of it, you know, you can never forget, but like teach, learning that, that forgiveness. And that's, you know, when I talk about killing mediocrity, I talk about competing and I talk about competing kindness, competing generosity, competing gratitude. And when you start competing in those areas, you're really taking off that armor. You're not being defensive anymore. You're actually being offensive in a kind way. And that really throws people off. And that is another, you know, the more you do that, the better you can, you know, make this, this world a better place. You know, this reminds me of uh, a situation and uh, I, I never had a strong relationship with my dad. And, uh, you know, he's not a bad guy. He just wasn't there, you know, and uh, there were some times where he showed up and it was inconsistent. And then uh, and then the fact that he just stopped showing up one day, I was just like, no, you know what? I'm going to be angry about this. And I, I, I reinforced my emotional armor and, you know, purposefully blocked him out. And I was just like, wow, my dad, just this guy, well, he's worthless, blah, blah, blah. You know, that's my emotional armor. And I would just, every year I would just add one more layer and one more layer and one more layer. And I was I was standing there uh, and I was a, an adult, like almost 30 years old. And I'm sitting there and talking to my grandfather, his father, uh, who I still had a relationship with. And uh, like, ah, you know, and I was just so worked up about this. And why couldn't he just have been a dad? He couldn't, why couldn't he just be there and call me and show up to my stuff? And so angry, all this armor that I'm wearing to protect me from him hurting me again by just, right not being there. And and my grandfather, uh, you know, I've told a version of this story before, but my grandfather, he's just sitting there. He says nothing. He's very stoic. And he waits for me to finish. And he looks back at me and he says, well, that's what we got. <laughs> and 
William, I had no response to that. Yeah. And what he did, what my grandfather did that day is he was sitting there, he was looking at me. He was, he was looking, he's like, I think there's a hole in this armor. And then he pulled out his little toothpick out of his pocket and he just went, beep. Yeah. And it all fell off. And that's when I realized, man, that shit was heavy. Right. And we carry it around and we never, ever take it off. And, and with five words, he dismantled it. And that's when I realized, like, okay. And I walked down. He lived next door, by the way, to my grandfather. I walked down, knocked on the door. He opens up the door. We hadn't talked to each other in 12 years. He opens up the door and he goes, well, hey, son, how's it going? Like, no time had passed. Like, he was completely unaffected by all of my armor that I was using to protect myself. He never right. saw it. He never cared. It didn't matter to him. And that's what I hear whenever you said that emotional armor. That's That hit me hard because I lived that for more than a decade. And I wasted that energy carrying that yeah. armor around because it was completely unnecessary. Yeah. And, you know, this is more vulnerability here. My kids, I have two kids that don't speak to me. Hmm. It's because of how they've been programmed from, you know, other people in their life or another person in their life. So I'm kind of like your dad. I'm waiting. It's the long game. I'll be here when you're ready. Mm -hmm. I'll continue to reach out. I'll continue to try and make an impact any way I can. But it's, and you know, it was a, there was a point in my life where I had to say, okay, I have to give my kids up and stop trying to connect with them because when I would get closer to them, they would get more damage from the input that they were getting. Mm. So at some point I'm like, let's lessen the damage on them. That's okay. If they hate me, that's fine. At some point they will realize that I'm not that bad because it was interesting. Many times when I would have visitation with them, they would, you know, they would say, dad, you're actually not that bad. No kidding. <laughs> I wasn't that bad last time we spent time together either. But uh, the time in between, you know, all I'm this terrible person. But you can see through interaction that I'm not. But it was, you know, it's they, they, they're, I'm very sad for them because they have to walk through that and they have to figure that out. And it'll be many years. But at some point, they, someone will take that toothpick and go, pink, and knock that armor down. Right. right. I love it's it. It's not going to be me. I don't have the ability to do that for them. Yep. They have to walk that path and, and go through that kind of suffering themselves. And hopefully the suffering that they are going through will make them a better person at the end of the day. That's right. Always does. So William, where can, uh, where can we go to learn more about the naked warrior? Uh, so if you're interested in, you know, CBD at all, I have Naked Warrior Recovery. You can type in uh, nakedwarriorrecovery.com, all one word, or nw-recovery.com. I, I didn't make Naked Warrior Recovery my primary website. I did in the beginning, but then I was like, oh, maybe people don't want to write naked in their search engine. So uh, let's make it nw-recovery. If you type in nw-recovery, you're going to go to like Northwestern, like alcohol rehab. That's not us. Okay. Uh, it was a CBD company. Uh, but um, for, for CBD, you know, we can do, uh, it's nw-recovery.com or naked warrior recovery. I'm on Instagram at naked warrior recovery or william.r.branham. Uh, where else am I five seal secrets? If you want to like learn how to think like a Navy seal, I call it five seal, five secrets to think like a Navy seal. Um, and again, that's really talking about the get naked mindset. Uh, I'm happy to come and speak to organizations. I do let's see, not coaching. Like I've, I'm even hearing like coaching is not even a good word to use anymore. An advisor uh, to some people uh, or companies uh, on some different things, leadership, personal development, things like that. Um, let's see, what else do I have? Let's give you, yeah. let's give your, your people a, a discount code for in, in the event that they want, you know, CBD. Uh, so let's make it. Um, the do zone. The do zone. There it is. All one word. The do zone. The do zone. Here we go. NW-recovery.com. Promo code the do zone for a discount. And that'll be 20% off. 
All right, excellent. So William Branham, thank you so much for being on here and sharing your story. Really appreciate you. For those of you who are interested in learning how to think and operate like a SEAL, you can visit 5sealsecrets.com. That's the number 5sealsecrets.com uh, to purchase CBD and learn more about the Naked Warrior Recovery. You can go to nw-recovery.com with a promotion code, discount code, the do zone. Thanks for that. Awesome. We're going to wrap from here. Thank you again, William Brand and our guest for joining us and sharing his wisdom. And thank you again, sir, for your service. We really appreciate you for that. Uh, if you are a busy entrepreneur looking to get to the next level, head over to the dozone.com for more productivity tips, tools, and strategies. Until next time, remember, we all have the same 24 hours in a day. What are you going to do with yours? I have a job for you. Open up your phone or get out a piece of paper and write down these three questions. Number one, what is one important task I can get completely done today? Number two, when can I start it? And number three, what impact will that have on my life? Now answer these questions as best you can every single day this week. Then commit to taking action daily. Now you're in the do zone, baby. Let's go. Need some help with accountability? Are you stuck where you're at and not sure how to break through the barrier in front of you? Join the DZ tribe for free by visiting thedozone.com. We're a group of hyperactive entrepreneurs who want to help you get more stuff done. Oh, one more thing. If you know somebody who needs to hear this message, share it with them. Text them, email them, send them a DM on social media, smoke signals, carrier pigeons, whatever. Be sure to tag us at the do zone. Also, keep the five-star written reviews coming over on iTunes. That helps new people find the show, hear it, and get themselves into the do zone as well. And always remember, the road to success is paved with imperfect action. So what are you waiting for? <laughs> Go do something already. See you next time.